الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد. So in this thirteen session of what is tasawuf and Sufism all about, we're we're going on to which something he had started discussing last week or last time, which was that the earliest scholars were very comprehensive and they mastered everything whether that be hadith and tafsir and the inner sciences but then later uh, certain scholars became focused on one uh, one area this is not to say that they didn't have any idea about the other area but it's just that they became more focused and then more renowned in that particular area so last week we looked at the fiqh aspect last time and um, we talked about the four imams who've become basically who survived their madhabs and their schools and their teachings, their legacy has survived over the centuries and that's what a lot of the world actually refer to today. Then he says, he carries on to discuss some of the others and he says, So the first one were the those who focused on the, sh- the sharia, the fiqh and jurisprudence. Then he says, وَفِرْقَةُ النَّصَبَتْ نَفْسَهَا لِلْإِشْتِغَالِ بِبَيَانِ الْعَقَائِدِ الَّتِي كَانَ عَلَيْهَا السَّلَفِ This particular group, they set themselves up to occupy and to engross themselves in explicating and uh, clarifying and um, <clears throat> making clear the, the tenets of faith that the Salaf were upon. So basically talking about aqidah, what our beliefs are. وَهُمَ الْأَشْعَرِيُّ وَالْمَا تُرِيدِيُّ وَمَنْ تَبِعَهُمَا They are basically Imam al-Ash'ari, Ma Turidi, and anybody who followed them later and carried on with that discussion, whether that be Ghazali and whether that be um, Imam Razi, uh, Imam, uh, the, uh, Imam al-Haramain al-Juwaini, or any of the others, Isfiraini, all of these scholars that came after them. And then the third group he says, so he basically splits it up into three major groups, Fiqh, Aqeedah, and spirituality. So he says, then the third group were those that um, put themselves up to for engrossment and focus in practical aspects and in effort and in making strenuous effort to basically reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and purify their hearts. According to the fiqh and aqidah of the previous two groups, so they were not something totally separate. They went by the fiqh and the aqidah of those, four, of those groups. That's why you see that generally uh, when you look at history and you look at the big scholars from history, you see that if he's a Ash'ari, then he's going to be a Sufi generally as well and he's going to be a Shafi or something like that. If he's a Maturidi, he's going to be a Hanafi and he's probably going to be a Sufi as well. This was pretty much the majority of the Ummah throughout history that they subscribed to each one of these three major groups. So that's why he's then saying that فَهَاُولَاءِ الْفِرَقَ الثَّلَاثِ هُمْ خَوَاصُ الْأُمَّةِ الْمُحَمَّدِيَّةِ These three groups, they are the elect and especially selected ones of the Muhammadan Ummah, of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then he says, وَمَنْ عَدَاهُمْ He says, very, very, um, وَمَنْ عَدَاهُمْ مِنْ جَمِيعِ الْفِرَقِ عَلَى ضَلَالِ Anybody from any other group are basically on deviance. Anybody who doesn't subscribe to these three major groups 
at least one aspect or one group from among these three major groupings, then he says that they are on dalal. وَإِنْ كَانَ الْبَعْضُ مِنْهُمْ يُحْكَمْ لَهُ بِالْإِسْلَامِ Even though they may, some of them may not be out of the faith, you'll still say they're Muslims. So you'll still allow them to remain within the confines of Islam. فَالنَّاجِي مَنْ كَانَ فِي عَقِيدَتِهِ عَلَى طِبْكِ مَا بَيَّنَهُ أَهْلُ السُنَّةِ Hence, the, the, the successful one, the winner, the survivor, the one with salvation will be the one who in his aqidah, in his beliefs, is going to be according to the way that has been highlighted and trailblazed, uh, trailblazed by the Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah. So the Ahlus Sunnah he must be on. وَقَلَّدَ فِي الْأَحْكَامِ الْعَمَلِيَّةِ إِمَامًا مِنْ الْأَيْمَةِ الْأَرْبَعَةِ الْمَرْضِيَّةِ And who has taqlid, who basically follows in his practical, in his practical laws an imam from one of the four, four accepted imams. ثُمَّ تَمَامُ النِّعْمَةِ وَالنَّجَاتِ فِي سُلُوكِ مَسْلَكِ الْجُنَيْدِ وَأَتْبَاعِهِ بَعْدَ أَنْ أَحْكَمَ دِينَهُ عَلَى طِبْكِ مَا بَيَّنَهُ الْفَرِيقَانِ الْمُتَقَدِّمَانِ Then after that for the complete benefit, to, to be basically showered with a full favor, and to really receive the total bonus, then you're not supposed to just be on those two. Then after that, you want to also be traversing the path of Junaid. That's Junaid al-Baghdadi and his, and, his, and his followers and people who came after him on his path. After a person has established their deen or made it firm according to the way that the two earlier groups that we just discussed, the, fuq- the fuqaha and the, uh, and, and the aqidahs, aqidah, uh, aqidah scholars, according to the way that they have uh, provided an exposition of the Ahlus Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. And then he mentions some others. He says, and also among those who have, among the, well, actually among those who follow the path of Junaid then. Because Junaid is one of the earliest Sufis that nobody has a disagreement about. Junaid al-Baghdadi. We'll learn more about him later. But he says that among those who followed his path was Al-Qutub al-Rabbani, Al-Imam Sayyidi Ahmad ibn al-Rifai. And then his followers. And then Al-Qutub al-Rabbani, Al-Imam Sayyidi Abdul Qadir al-Jilani wa Atba'ihi. Right? That's number two. Number three, he says, Al-Qutb al-Rabbani Sayyid Ahmad al-Badawi. And, number, and then his followers. And then number four is, Al-Qutb al-Rabbani Sayyid Ibrahim al-Dusuqi. And then Al-Qutb al-Rabbani Sayyid Ali Abu al-Hasan al-Shadili. And number, was that number six now? Al-Qutb al-Rabbani Sayyidi Muhammad al-Khalwati. Wal-Qutb al-Rabbani Sayyidi Abdullah al-Naqshbandi. He's obviously referring to some of the great scholars that probably um, you can say found followers within Egypt because the scholar is from Egypt. So he's talking about those scholars who had some kind of influence in Egypt, even though the heads, the, 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 the major people here, Abul Hassan al-Shadid, he was from Egypt. But then some of the others, they were from Morocco and they were from other parts of the world. So they were not necessarily all the founders of those schools or those, uh, you can say, those uh, orders were not necessarily from Egypt, but they definitely had zawiyas in Egypt. They had definitely had an influence in Egypt. And you have to remember that at the time that the author is writing, the author is Imam Dardir. When he's writing, Azhar is, mashallah, at, at its peak, well-respected around the world, probably as one of the uh, in most influential centers of the Muslim world at the time. Right? It's just now that unfortunately it doesn't have the same 
rigor or the same influence as it used to have. But in those days, that Azhar was what was the was the Muslim university, you know, uh, par excellence around the world. So you had uh, followers and people of these tariqas in, in in Egypt. You still have you still have zawiyas of all these people in Egypt, like the Khalwatiya. I've actually seen the Khalwatiya one. فَهَؤُلَاءِ كُلُّهُمْ سَادَاتُ الْأُمَّةِ الْمُحَمَّدِيَّ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَعَنَّا بِهِمْ جَمِيعًا بِهِمْ آمِينَ That all of these are the leaders of the Ummah Al-Muhammadiyya رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have, uh, be pleased with them and pleased with us. Ameen. So he then is going to carry on. So what we want to do first is, these are all names for us currently. Right? Some of them we may know something about. I want to just go through some of them because mashallah uh, really to understand who these people are it's quite amazing to understand why they got to where, where they got to why they mentioned in books today why they have follow sh- uh, followers now what we have to also remember is that uh, tasawwuf evolves any movement evolves hardly any movement stays the same what you always have is that you have um, the founder the reason they became very popular is because of some great influence that they had. Then obviously the way that movement continues is through their students or people that they have prepared, people who attribute themselves to those founders. Sometimes obviously what happens is that you get a few bad elements within that. There's no policing in this case, right? There's no authority, you know, the Tasawwuf authority or the Sufism registration authority or oversight or ombudsman or whatever you want to call on these names you have so somebody could come up today and say i'm a naqshbandi or i'm a khalwati i'm a rifai right and maybe they are maybe they did take beta from a sheikh and the sheikh trusted them and said something but then they've uh, introduced new ideas because of maybe what's going on sometimes those ideas may be good meaning new ways new ways of getting people closer to allah right because this constant in flux we live in very different times from people before it's very difficult for us to do the same thing as what these people did because there's a big difference in our surrounding there's a big difference in our challenges there's a big difference in the kind of timing we have and so on now some people get it right and some people don't so I just want you to understand this that today for example the Rifai Tariqa does some really strange things People who seem to follow them when you go to Egypt and other places, they, they do things with stabbing themselves with swords, uh, walking into pits of fire. He'll mention that himself as well. They, they do this. Now, God knows where they started from. But people of the Rifa'i Tariqa in Sham are known to do this kind of stuff. Now, why they do it, they have their own reasons for doing that. But that doesn't mean it's from the Sunnah or that doesn't mean that the original founders did the same thing. Things evolve over time. And the oversight, maybe the, maybe the original founder doesn't even know, meaning they wouldn't even have an idea that this would have gone to that level. With some of the things that are happening with certain groups today, the founders must be turning in their graves. Sometimes the infighting, the competition, the problems, the, the deviance in some cases, the founders must be turning in their graves. I mean, subhanAllah, right? So... That, that's, that's the thing about this world. We will go leaving things here. And we just pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if we're going to leave something, it's going to be something good. And it's going to be preserved and protected. Otherwise, for example, the founders of Azhar were actually Fatimids. They were Shia. It was taken over by the Sunnis afterwards. Right? 
but those who basically turned it into a Sunni institution. Right? What were their ideas? And where has it got to now? And you have to think about it. Because things have to evolve. Things have to evolve. And sometimes it evolves in the right way and sometimes it evolves in the wrong way as well. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection. So, <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these scholars that he mentioned. Firstly, the first person he mentioned is Abu Qasim al-Junaid. That's Junaid al-Baghdadi. He is considered to be an agreed upon an agreed upon righteous saint of the past. Some people may not, some people are a bit sensitive to the word saint because it has Catholic or uh, Christian connotations and probably the word did start from there but as in many other things no longer does no long no longer is the English language uh, restricted to Christianity or Christendom um, there are many other language there are many other religions that lay claim to English now like Islam does right because there's a substantial number of English speakers native English speakers that consider themselves to be Muslim and Jewish for example so then we can take these terms so I personally don't see a problem with these terms because I don't think that they I don't look at them as loaded terms anymore because they become generic they've become common terms that you can apply with a different definition of course and languages evolve anyway just like everything else evolves in this world languages also evolve so people shouldn't get too people shouldn't get too conspiracy uh, paranoia when, when we when we start talking about these things if you don't like to use the term that's fine you don't have to use it so the first person we're going to be speaking about is Abu Qasim al-Junaid so Abu Qasim al-Junaid he is an amazing an amazing individual his name is uh, Junaid ibn Muhammad his name is Junaid ibn Muhammad, but he's normally considered or titled as Sayyidu Ta'ifa, the, the head of the group, the leader of the group, the master of the orders. So the Ta'ifa here refers to the Sufis, the major Sufis and Zuhad of the past, the ascetics of the past. He's considered to be their leader. He's supposed to be one of the first. And what's amazing is that there were Sufis before him, but he becomes one of the most famous. And the reason is, he he was uh, he was born and he was brought up in Iraq and Iraq was Darul Khilafah of the time, the the place of the center of the Muslim governance. He was a jurist. Uh, he was a jurist on the madhab of Abu Thawr. Abu Thawr is, I believe, is a Maliki, if I remember correctly, or Abu Thawr had his own madhab. Abu Thawr had his own madhab, maybe. That is the madhab that, on which he was as a as, as a jurist. But that madhab doesn't continue anymore. He remained in the company of his maternal uncle. His maternal uncle was another famous Sufi, Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi. Generally, when you look at books of spirituality, whether that be from Ibn Taymiyyah or anybody else, they will quote these three, Junaid al-Baghdadi, Harith Al-Muhasibi, and a number of others. His, his maternal uncle is Sari al-Saqati. Sari al-Saqati, that's his name. And he also stayed with Harith Al-Muhasibi. So he stays with Sari al-Saqati, and he also has accompanied Harith al-Muhasibi. He's also accompanied Muhammad ibn Ali al-Qassab. And he, uh, he eventually passed away. Uh, his death date is 297. 297. So that's the end of the third century there. 297. That's after Bukhari, after 
Imam Bukhari dies in 240-something, or 250-something. Imam Ahmed dies in 240-something. So he's after all of that, right? Just after all of that. He's considered to be one of the scholars of the 3rd century. And mashallah, there's a number of really wonderful, very profound statements that come from us, advices, you can say, aphorisms. One of the things that he said is that مَا أَخَذْنَا التَّصَوُّفَ عَنِ الْقِيلِ وَقَالِ We did not take the sawuf from just hearsay. We did not take it from, oh, I heard this story and we heard that story. Because when it gets to the tasawuf realm in certain quarters, there's a lot of stories about karamat. In fact, the whole infatuations becomes karamat or miracles. And it becomes, essentially what happens is sometimes it almost seems like they're encouraging that you should look for karamat and nobody feels accomplished until they have experienced the miracle, which sometimes is very late in coming if it ever comes. Uh, I, I've been to people where I, I have friends and uh, they're, they're, basically that's all they speak about. They just have lots and lots of stories. Stories are obviously very profound, but if your whole, if your whole ideology is based on certain stories and not any fundamentals, and then Quran Sunnah is never spoken about, it's always about what so-and-so Shaykh did and so-and-so Shaykh did and there's no Quran Sunnah involved in that, then slowly, slowly, you can very easily move away. Because if you don't constantly reflect your knowledge and your understanding on the Quran and Sunnah, then you forget what's in the Quran and Sunnah. And when you forget what's in the Quran and Sunnah, then sometimes deviances take over very easily. Shaitan's always there to do that. So that's what he said. He said, we never took it from just hearsay, things of hearsay. We always took it from the proper source. Walakin, and then he says another thing. We didn't take it just merely on words. That's another thing what he means by qil and qal. But we took it based on effort. It was not just about a few words that we heard here and there. Walakin anil dunya mustahsanat. We took it from hunger. That's where we learnt it from. By staying hungry and not indulging in what we love to eat all the time, in abandoning the world, in exercising some kind of abstinence from we, ha- we may have the ability to buy what we want but does that mean we must buy what, what we want Umar who saw somebody with a package says what is this he says this is just some meat that I felt like buying that I desired to buy so I purchased it I desired so I purchased it doesn't just sound it sounds much much more effective in Arabic. So he says, Everything you desire, you purchase. And today with Amazon, subhanAllah, that's what it is. You can literally go on there, find what you want, and it will come the next day when you sign up for Prime. Or maybe it'll even come the same day if you pay a bit more. So you can really indulge. And really, this is something to be exercised today. When you don't need something, don't even go into Westfield. Don't even go into a mall if you don't need something. Don't even browse online, even if it's, Black Friday or whatever deals. Even if you're bombarded by, by offers to your own emails, there's no point doing it unless you need something. Make a list before those, if you want to take the bargains from that time, make a list of what you need. Okay, this is one, two, three, I need, that's what I'm going to look for. Otherwise, hot UK deals, for example, will get you buying, will get you buying all over. I mean, I remember several years ago in hot UK deals, you, you would actually go and browse it, like to look for something. You don't need it, you're looking for something to buy. Can you believe it? 
It's not that I need something so I'm looking for it. No, I'm looking through it to for something to buy that I don't need. And somebody he said, should I sign you up so that you get all the offers to your to your WhatsApp or to your? I said no, I don't want it. I just don't want it. It's time consuming, and it's just not worth it. You don't need it. Alhamdulillah, I don't need it. If Allah is giving you everything that you want, and when you want something, you can go and target it. You don't need it. Believe me, this. We're going to have to learn this, you know why? Because it's only going to get worse. The algorithms and the, 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 the psychology and everything that's going on behind there is going to just, it's going to make you spend because the health of a country today is measured by how much people spend. That's how they measure it. So if you don't spend, you're not a good consumer, you're not a good citizen. So you just you're gonna have to learn to withhold you're gonna have to it doesn't give you satisfaction and the most amazing thing is that when you stop looking for that Allah gives you satisfaction in what you have when you stop looking for new things to get that dopamine rush you will actually start being satisfied with what you do have that's the most amazing things so <clears throat> That's what he said. He said, that's where we learned it from. And he said, then from severing ourselves from those things that seem nice to the nafs and heart and things that are considered to be beautiful and so on. وَمِنْ كَلَامِهِ أَيْضًا Another thing that he says is أَتْتُرُكُ كُلُّهَا مَسْدُودَ عَلَى الْخَلْقِ إِلَّا مَنِ اقْتَفَى أَثْرَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم. That look, all other paths for creation are closed. Meaning, if you want to gain Allah through any other path, they're closed. You're not going to get Allah in any other path, except the one who goes and follows the footsteps of Rasulullah You can't get to Allah if you don't follow the sunnah. That's what he's saying. Somebody's telling you to do this or do that, and it's the quicker way to Jannah, it's the quicker way to gain closeness to Allah and there's no Quran and Sunnah involved in there there's a dismissal of it in fact it's just not going to get you there this is the chief of the Sufis saying that وَمِن كَلَامِهِ أَيْضًا لَوْ أَقْبَلَ صَادِكٌ عَلَى اللَّهِ أَلْفَ أَلْفَ سَنَةٌ ثُمَّ أَعْرَضَ عَنْهُ لَحْظَةً كَانَ مَا فَاتَهُ أَكْثَرْ مِمَّا نَالَهُ now this is heavy he says that if there's a truthful person right who's Focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a, a million years, alf alf, thousand thousand, that's a million years. He's focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a million years. He's focused, right? He's exercising attention, focus on Allah for a thousand years. Just for then one moment, he turns away for, to something else. He says that which he will lose out will be much more than what he gains in a million years. Now, I mean, that's so depressing, to be honest, that for us, where we only focus a moment, and most of the time we just... So imagine what we're losing. But it's these kind of people who are competition for the 70,000 that will enter into paradise without questioning. You know that special elite group um, that will enter paradise with no questioning. Now, how can you compete with them? How can you compete with them? But there was another narration that we found which is a bit weak. It said that with every 70,000, there'll be another 70,000. 
which means 49 billion. Now that seems a bit more possible. When you've got 49 billion, then there's a possibility. Okay, another thing. <coughs> he also says, لو أق... uh, He also says, وَمِنْ كَلَامِ أَيْضًا إِنْ بَدَتْ ذَرَّةٌ مِنْ عَيْنِ الْكَرَمِ وَالْجُودِ الْحَقَةِ الْمُسِيءُ بِالْمُحْسِنِ And then he carries on. He says that if just one atom from the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is received by a person, right? But it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his benevolence and his generosity. That has so much power that it can take the worst person and make him the best person. You just need that one glance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of benevolence. But the way to get that is to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when will that shift come? When will that moment of turning come to me? I've been trying for such a long time. Oh Allah, make that decree for me. It's easy for you to do so. He also said, مِنَ الْأَعْمَالِ مَا لَا عَلَيْهِ Among the deeds... He's saying among the deeds that a person does, he says which even the recording angels don't know about. They're supposed to know everything. But he said there are certain deeds which not even the recording angels know. And what are they? He said basically that is the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the heart. Dhikrullahi bil qalb. It's not done outwardly. It's not uttered. It's done in the heart. And also, وَمَا طَوِيَتْ عَلَيْهِ الضَّمَائِرِ مِنَ الْهَيْبَةِ وَالتَّعْظِيمِ لِلَّهِ وَاعْتِمَادِ الْخَوْفِ وَإِجْلَالِ أَوَامِرِهِ وَنَوَاهِهِ And everything else that you keep in your heart, that you basically preserve in your heart of the awe that you have for Allah, the reverence that you have for Allah in your heart, even though outwardly you're not expressing it. <clears throat> and the fear... Uh, a fear and reverence for his commands and his prohibitions. Then he said something else. He said, "Ihfadu sa'at sa'atikum, fa innaha zaila, ghayru raji'a." Make sure you really make sure you really take advantage of your moments. Basically, make sure that you preserve your moments. Make sure you look after every moment of yours. We hope that the moments we spend here are useful. We could be doing so many other things at this time. It would have been probably so much easier to just watch you, a few YouTube videos. It would have passed your time very fast. So he's saying make sure that you spend every moment of yours, preserve every moment of yours because they're going to go by and they're never going to come back. Obviously. And awradakum. Make sure you perform your daily litany. Have a daily litany and make sure you do it. I'm going to read this much Quran. I'm going to read this much Adhkar. I'm going to uh, sit and contemplate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this many moments. Have a daily litany and make sure you follow it through. He says, tajidu you will actually find its benefit. You will find its benefit, experience its benefit in your abode of residence. And he says, Make sure that a small amount of the dunya, 
watching a YouTube video, watching something funny and so on, make sure that does not distract you. Because that's just qalilum in dunya. Because even after you watch it, you feel like I wasted my time anyway. It sounded nice when you did it, but it's like, man, I wasted my time. I wasted my time. That's qalilum in dunya. That's insignificant parts of the world. Let that not deter you from Allah, distract you from Allah. فَإِنَّ قَلِيلَهَ يُشْغِلْ عَنْ كَثِيرِ الْآخِرَةِ Because you can say the, the value of it in terms of the hereafter. It's a small amount here which you realize is small afterwards, but that will take you away from so much great benefit and abundant profit that you could have earned in the hereafter. So the strain of it, the burden of it, the cost of it, and say the economic cost of the hereafter is too much for that. There's a cost associated to every time that we waste in this world. It's an opportunity cost. What do you call it? You call it an opportunity cost. Opportunity to do something better. But the opportunity is so much greater, you could make so much more if you just did some adhkar instead. These are so easy things to say, but so difficult to do. So then what was his awrad? What was his daily litany? Now, his daily litany was وَكَانَ مِنْ أَوْرَادِهِ أَرْبَعُ مِئَةِ رَكَعَةٍ كُلَّ يَوْمٍ 400 rak'ats every day. 400 rak'ats. That means 200 tutus. I mean, if we can get in even two, four, that's a mashallah. You know, aside from our fara'id. So on. 400, maybe one day, inshallah. Don't, don't think this is impossible to do. We can't do it today, we're busy, we got to earn money, we got no time. And if you live in London, then that's an additional, additional thing. Of people in London don't have time. Right? I mean, I, I just had a 10-day travel to some other countries. And the amount of time people gave to me to take you around, though they're working and so on. I was telling them, look, just stay, just relax. I can, take, I can, I can just do my work today. You don't have to take me out. You don't have to be with me. And it's not just one person is with you, all five people are there, nearly all the time. And I was just shocked. And then I told them, I said, look, if you come to London, I won't be able to do this for you. We just don't have time in London. They said, no, alhamdulillah, we have a lot of time here. So I don't know whether they, they have more barakah or we have more barakah. God knows. You don't have time for people. Even picking somebody up from the airport is a hassle. Get a taxi, get an Uber, send an Uber. I'm willing to spend £50 to send an Uber for you. I can't come and pick you up. So that, that was his. You know, most of the time he fasted. The only time he wouldn't fast was amazing. right? Now this guy's priorities right. The only time he wouldn't fast is when his friends came to visit him. Or when somebody came to visit him, then he would eat with them. He would break his fast. Otherwise he was fasting. Because to eat with somebody makes them feel good. I mean, somebody comes to your house, you put food on, you don't eat. Makes it sound a bit awkward. So he would eat with them. But he would remain silent for most of the time. Wallahu alam. I mean, there, there are some other stories related about him. I'm going to mention them to you. Um, they may sound a bit strange uh, to some people. But he says, once Iblis came to him in the form of a normal person, right, to help him out, to try to mislead him. He says, I want to I wanna be at your service. I want to just help you out. Right? I want to help you out. So he says, I'd like to help you out and be at your service and I don't want any money. 
I'm just willing to help you out. So he says, okay, that's fine. Ten years, he kept making him do things. Meaning Junaid al-Baghdadi took himself, okay, do this, do that, you know, wash this, clean that, whatever. For ten years. And not even for a moment did his, was his heart distracted from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaitan was trying in the form of a human being. And only after about 10 years, Shaitan said, can I leave now? I don't want to be at your service anymore. And I'm Iblis. So Junaid al-Baghdari said, I recognize you from the time you came in. From the time that you came in, min from the time you entered to ask me this, I recognize you anyway. But I just took all of this service from you. I made you do all of this work to punish you. Because you don't get any reward in the, the deeds that you did in the Akhirah. Right? Now you think Shaitan doesn't come to us, right? You think this is unbelievable because Shaitan doesn't come to us. We don't know Shaitan. I mean, how do you know that Shaitan doesn't come to you? A really... Uh, an in, a very influential individual he tells me that he's been in many high profile meetings at some very high levels and he said things will be going very well and there's somebody that comes and just switches it, switches it away come up with a you know with a curveball with a twist in the tail with something else and like oh okay let's do that and he just takes it away from the haq i mean we know this from the time of the prophet ﷺ, during the battles uh, there were people, that, that, the shaitan used to come in the form of an old Najdi old man from Najd. Right? So how do you know? Now don't go around like questioning everybody you see now, uh, tomorrow. Because it doesn't have to be a jinn or a shaitan in disguise. You've got many humans who are shaitans. You've got people who are influenced and who will just take people away. Right, there's that anyway. That's why it's always a good idea when you have even a meeting for anything that you, you do some dua beforehand, you read A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, and you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the acceptance of it, and you just don't do it like that. Because any gathering in which the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not taken, then Shaitan can have an influence on it. But if you take the name of Allah and you do salawat on the Prophet, then you can be protected. Even if you want barakah in your business and you have business meetings, work meetings, then, you know, if you've got non-Muslim, you don't have to say it openly, but do a dua. Do a dua. Because the, the, we, we believe in this, that it's important to have a holistic approach. We live in a modern world, which is a godless world. It's very difficult to bring religion into it. They tolerate religion, but they tell you to leave it at the doorstep. As Muslims, we've got this, Muslims are disproportionately more practicing on their faith than any other religion throughout the world, whether you look in, uh, in France, whether you look in England or America, in terms of you've got Christians, you've got Jews, you've got Muslims, you've got Buddhists, but in terms of practice, Muslims are disproportionately the majority of those who practice. And that's why they're seen as a threat, right? A lot of the time they're seen as a threat because globalization is taking away traditions and lots of things that people were used to. They're part of the globalization, and they're, they're riding the globalization, they're driving the globalization, but at the same time, for some reason, they don't enjoy it. They're, they're losing something out of it, they don't realize that's where the problem is. And then they think it's Islam that's causing the problem, because Islam is very manifest. People like to take time off for prayer, they like to go for hajj, 
so it's in your face type of thing you know they can't a lot of Muslims you just can't leave Islam at the door of your work you're gonna have to pray when Asr is at three o'clock so this is the challenge now but we need to still benefit from it and not give it up so that's why if you're in a meeting your own meeting your own kind of you know business or whatever as well then we need to benefit from this inshallah and of course if you're in a religious environment teaching madrasa whatever it is then of course you need that you have to we believe in it we believe that there's the assistance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always with us and then the shaitan said something to him to try to uh, shaitan tried to give him that last curveball and he said to try to get him to uh, to try to make him think that he had succeeded through these 10 years because of his own knowledge and practice so when uh, he made such a statement to him to give him a bit of narcissism right Junaid al-Baghdadi said look now you get out you, you're the accursed one are you trying are you now trying to make me narcissistic make me self-conceited is that what you're trying to do so then he he left and he knew that he'd wasted 10 years by, by this time anyway the fadila of Junaid al-Baghdadi this is just a brief biography of his many that th there are many other uh, things about him in his biography but we'll we'll keep it to that uh, so Imam Sawi says that his excellence is like the sun uh, in at noon time, everybody knows Junaid al Baghdadi, right? Nobody should be uh, should be oblivious of his life, and may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala allow us to follow in such people's footsteps, and may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala grant us barakah. Next time we'll be looking at Rifai and Dusuki and some of the others, inshaAllah. اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم يا الله يا أرحم الراحمين oh most merciful of the merciful ones we need your mercy oh Allah turn to us with your mercy oh most forgiving one oh Allah oh most forgiving one we want your forgiveness oh Allah grant us your forgiveness oh Allah grant us your blessing Oh Allah, oh generous one, oh Allah, we need your generosity, we need your attention. Oh Allah, do not let any of us here be deprived. Oh Allah, those who are here, those who are listening. Oh Allah, whatever permissible needs we have, oh Allah, we ask that you accept them. Oh Allah, whatever ventures that are halal that we're doing, then keep them halal, oh Allah, and grant us barakah and blessing. Oh Allah, purify our hearts so that we don't even incline towards the wrong. Oh Allah, keeps the shaitan away from us in whatever forms he may come. Oh Allah, grant us the guidance to do that which is right. Oh Allah, protect us and our children. And oh Allah, grant us great successes in both worlds. Oh Allah, grant successes in this world, grant successes for us in the hereafter. Oh Allah, make us satisfied with your faith. Oh Allah, make us satisfied with your faith. Oh Allah, make your obedience pleasing to us. Oh Allah, make it beneficial for us. Oh Allah, bless us in it. Oh Allah, we find it so difficult, oh Allah. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from wrongs. You protect us from shortcomings and weaknesses. Oh Allah, we make tawbah sometimes in the morning, but by the evening, our, our resolve has weakened and sometimes we break it. Oh Allah, we make it sometimes in the evening, but by the morning it is broken. Oh Allah. These adhkar that we do, this litany that we have, O oh Allah, we ask that you keep us permanent 
on, on, the, on this litany and you make us of those who frequently and abundantly remember you and those who frequently and abundantly thank you and are grateful to you. Oh Allah, there is no shortcoming in what you've given us. Oh Allah, you have given us so much more than so many others on this earth. Oh Allah, but we don't know how to thank you. And sometimes we are ungrateful by using the very same wealth that you have given us, very same bounty that you have given us, very same security that you have provided us. Oh Allah, we start using it in the wrong way. We start using it to disobey you. Oh Allah, it is only your clemency and your forbearance and your patience that we have not been struck and we have not been seized by this. Oh Allah, we ask that you cover us, that you allow us to think correctly, that you show us the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it. And that you show us the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. Oh Allah, there is so much confusion out there. There is so much emptiness out there. Oh Allah, there is just so much emptiness out there, so much darkness out there. Oh Allah, fill our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our tongues, our minds with your light. Oh Allah, guide us with your light. Oh Allah, surround us with your light. Oh Allah, oh Allah, make your light the torch bearing uh, light that we need in this world and illuminate our path for us. Oh Allah, keep us from the darknesses of this world. Oh Allah, oh Allah, remove the discontent. Oh Allah, remove the problem and the emptiness that people are feeling and grant us fulfillment in your worship. Turn us to your worship. Oh Allah, allow us to see through the clouds and obscurity. And oh Allah, allow us to see the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it. Oh Allah, grant us the kanima la ilaha illallah. Make every subsequent year and day for us better than the previous one. Make the final part of our life the best part of our life. And oh Allah, grant us the Quran in our hearts. Make it easy for us to understand it, to memorize it. Oh Allah, we are so distracted. There are so many distractions that are out there in front of us. Allow us to get a grip on ourselves. Oh Allah, allow us to get a grip on ourselves. Oh Allah, send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and grant a goodly reward and illuminate the graves of all of these great people who passed before us and whose works we still benefit from and whose words that we're still inspired by. Oh Allah, allow us to follow in their footsteps and make us also accepted the way you accepted them. Oh Allah, grant us the ability to come to your haramain. Oh Allah, remove the problems that surround that are happening in the world. And oh Allah, remove the oppression from our brothers and sisters in the world, wherever they may be, wherever they may be subjugated. And oh Allah, help us in this country, in all other countries, to establish ourselves and establish our faith and allow our practice, our faith to be practiced. Oh Allah, fulfill all of our permissible needs. Oh Allah, accept our du'a. Oh Allah, accept our du'a and shower us with your, shower us with your generosity. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen walhamdulillah.